Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 246. Today's big Bible question, why do we have denominations? Plus, the funniest line in the Bible? Well, hello, friends. Happy Saturday to you. Today, we're going to grapple with some Catholic theology and discuss denominations. Oh, boy. Our readings for the day include some more fascinations from 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22, plus Ezekiel 1, Psalms 37, and 1 Corinthians 3. Now, it's obviously been quite a while for me since I've read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel from cover to cover, maybe dating back to my seminary days, because as I read, I keep being reminded of these remarkable things every day in this book. Today, we're going to encounter what has to be one of the funniest lines in the entire Bible, maybe the funniest. Well, at least it's pretty close. So David, as you know, is fleeing from King Saul, who wants to kill him. So, you know, naturally, David goes to Gath. Yes, Gath, as in the stronghold of the Philistines, the bitter enemies of the Israelites. Oh, and also the hometown of Goliath, the Philistines' hero. Uh, Wait, what was that, you ask? Oh, yeah, I'd almost forgot. David killed Goliath, the Philistine hero, in front of all of the Philistines, so... Why did he go there, you might ask? Well, actually, I didn't almost forget about it, because I'm not an insane person. But it's almost like David forgot about it until he got to Gath, and then he very quickly looked around and thought, hey, you know what? Maybe being the chief bad guy of the Philistines means that maybe I shouldn't try to hide out here. You know, it's sort of like Nick Saban getting in trouble with the president of the University of Alabama and then going and hiding out in Auburn to get away from him, or, I don't know, Wonder Woman having a squabble with Superman and hiding from him in the headquarters of the Legion of Doom. Well, pretty crazy stuff, but, you know, once David kind of gets there and he looks around and realizes, hey, you know, maybe this is not the best idea I've ever had, he gets another idea that's almost as crazy as the first idea. Actually, it's a, a literal crazy idea, except it actually works. He decides that the best way to keep the Gathites from killing him is to act like an insane person. Uh Uh-huh, a full-on loony, drooling down his beard and scribbling on walls and acting like a madman and such, which leads to one of the funniest lines in the entire Bible, and it's delivered by none other than the king of Gath. So you find it in 1 Samuel 21, 14-15, where it says, Look! You can see this man is crazy, Achish said to his servants. Why did you bring him to me? Do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is this one going to come into my house? Now, I honestly cannot wait until my next opportunity to say to somebody, Do I have such a shortage of crazy people around that you bring this guy to me? Anyway, none of that's what we're focusing on today. You get all of that for entirely free. Today, our focus is on unity in the body of Christ and denominations in Christendom. Well, how many Christian denominations are there exactly? Well, it turns out this is a hard number to pin down because part of it consists in determining what a denomination is and what groups actually represent Christianity and which groups actually don't. Now, Catholics and other critics of Christianity like to say that there are well over 30,000 Protestant denominations. I've actually seen some say over 50,000. But that number appears to be a little too high. The real numbers appears to be somewhere in the, I don't know, 5 to 11,000 range 
which obviously isn't much better at all, but it is somewhat better. Now, I found a really thought-provoking article on this question written extremely well by uh, a Catholic, of all things, who was, uh, I guess he's a former Protestant who converted to Catholicism in 2011. By and large, the, the article is fairly, it's it's fairly fair. And it's quite balanced in dealing with Protestants. I don't agree with his conclusion. We're going to talk about that today and tomorrow because we're going to spend two days talking about denominations. But I want to read you a pretty good chunk of this article because it's well-written, it's well-researched, and most of it I think uh, I actually entirely agree with, surprisingly enough, again, except for the conclusion. So this is what he says, and his name is Scott. Scott says, There are not, repeat with me, there are not 33,000 Protestant denominations. They're not anywhere close to it. It's a myth that is taken hold by force of repetition, and it gets cited and recited by reflex, but it's based on a source that even Catholics will have to concede relies on too loose of a definition of the word denomination. The source is the two-volume World Christian Encyclopedia, which says, World Christianity consists of six major ecclesiastico-cultural blocks, divided into 300 major ecclesiastical traditions composed of over 30,000 distinct denominations in 238 countries. So, according to the World Christian Encyclopedia, the 33,000 figure represents world Christianity. Now, unless a Catholic wants to suppose that world Christianity means Protestantism, that number would have to be something less. 33,000, according to the source from which the number comes, means the whole of Christianity, not just Protestants. And so the WCE, the World Christian Encyclopedia, goes on to break it down like this. So there's 22,000 independent denominations, 9,000 Protestant denominations, 1,600 marginal denominations, 781 Orthodox denominations, 242 Catholic denominations, and 168 Anglican denominations. And so, Scott says, the immediate problem is that the WCE only classifies 9,000 denominations, which is 27% of the whole, as Protestant. To get to 33,000, one must add in the independents, marginals, Anglicans, etc. And the World Christian Encyclopedia says there's approximately 438 Presbyterian denominations, 647 different Methodist denominations, and an astonishing 1,017 Baptist denominations. And he says, I think the number is inflated. For instance, independent Baptist congregations who have a high doctrine of the local church and govern themselves are each counted as separate denominations, even though they may all believe the same doctrine. There are 8,142 such congregations named by the World Christian Encyclopedia, whether Baptist or not, whether Protestant or not. Again, he says, I think the number is inflated. Among the 23,600 independents and marginals, which is 70% of the whole number, are large numbers of groups one would have a hard time calling Protestant. They include Mormons with 122 denominations, Jehovah's Witnesses with 229 denominations, Masons, 28 denominations, Christadelphians, 21 denominations, Unitarians, 29 denominations, Christ- which is you know kind of funny for Unitarians, Christian Science, 59 denominations, Theosophists, 3 denominations, British Israelites, huh? 8 denominations, Prosperity Gospel Groups, 27 denominations, Oneness Pentecostals, 680 denominations, 
hidden Buddhist believers in Christ, nine denominations, yeah, I've got questions too, wandering bishops, 12 denominations, I've I've got some more questions, independent Nestorians, five denominations, okay, occultists, three denominations, spiritists, 20 denominations, these aren't even Christians, Zionists, 159 denominations, Arab Radio TV Network, 19 denominations, Gay Homosexual Tradition, 2 denominations, and Schismatic Catholics, 435 denominations. It is a strange and eclectic list, says Scott Alt. However strong the temptation some may have to characterize anything not Catholic or Orthodox as Protestant, you can't do that. All that tells Protestant apologists, you know, like the guy doing the podcast right now, is that you don't know what Protestantism is or what its distinctives are, and they would be right. And why would they take anything you say seriously after that? If you don't know what Protestantism is, who are you to be talking about its errors? Not only are Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Oneness Pentecostals, Unitarians, Prosperity Gospel Believers, included among the 23,600 independents and marginals, not Protestant, many of them are not even Christian. They adhere to a false Christology. Protestants and Catholics are in agreement about who Christ is. These other groups have other ideas. I actually agree with him there. Many Catholics like to cite the 33,000 figure because the number is so outrageously large, they assume it is a particular embarrassment to Protestants. Look at all this division in your ranks, but the result has been that Protestants consult the source, take note of the problems with it, claim a few thousand denominations at most, and scoff at the wild exaggeration, which makes Catholics look foolish for insisting on a ridiculously high and easily refuted number, and Protestants imagine they can sleep the sleep of the just because the real number is nowhere close. See, they say, no denomination problem here. Thus, the real issue gets lost. I actually agree with Scott there. We're going to talk about that. He continues, Catholics need to stop citing this number, not only because it's outlandishly false, but because it's not the point how many Protestant denominations there are. The point is the scandal of division and the love of private judgment that has caused so much of it. The scandal would be no less if there were two denominations and no greater if there were two million. Any division in the body of Christ is a scandal. To argue over how many is a red herring. It is an argument about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. The real point here is St. Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4, 4-6, through 6, which says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. By one body, St. Paul means one church, as is evident when you compare Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 and Colossians 1, 18 and 24. Protestants don't need to answer to an encyclopedia. They need to answer to St. Paul. So, Scott Eric Alt, great article. There's a lot of, I find, agreeing uh, agreement with you there. Uh, but uh, I do have some issues with your conclusion, as you might imagine, as a Southern Baptist denominational pastor. Uh, first of all, I don't think Protestants need to answer to St. Paul because I don't think it works that way. I think we need to answer to God. And we have a lot to answer for to God for in terms of disunity in the body. And we're going to talk about that today and tomorrow. And, and I'll just say, this is some very interesting words from our Catholic friend. He raises some interesting points that we will deal with. Uh, first, however, let's go and read our focus passage for today, 
which is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which talks a lot about unity in the body of Christ and the problem of immaturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Paulos, are you not uh, acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Amen. So strong words today from the Apostle Paul. And I think our Catholic friend Scott is absolutely right that we all have some explaining to do as to how the church has become so divided over the nearly 2,000 years since the ascension of Jesus. Interestingly, the division was already happening within a few short years, if not a few short months, of the ascension of Jesus, as Paul points out today in our passage in 1 Corinthians 3 here, which is one of the earliest letters he wrote, which says, You are not ready to be mature because you're still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? Being divided and following human leaders instead of Jesus is indeed a sign of immaturity and worldliness in Christians Because these human leaders, no matter how important their role or how good their teaching, they are nothing, says Paul in verse 7, which says, So then neither the one who plants, which was Paul, or the one who waters, which in this case was Apollos, is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And this is such an important passage. Paul is here saying that neither he nor Apollos, nor nor any other human, including you, including me, including the Pope, is anything to follow and be divided over, 
but only God who gives growth. Now, one area that Scott and I quite agree on is that the original intent and purpose of Jesus and the apostles is that there would be one church and one body. And we see this crystal clear in many places in scripture, but perhaps clearest in John 17, verses 20 through 23, when Jesus prays uh, shortly before his crucifixion, he says, I pray not only for these, but also for the for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they be may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And that's a fitting place for us to leave off part one of this discussion of denominations, which we will pick up tomorrow in a bit more depth. Now, Jesus prays for and calls his people to be united in the kind of oneness that he and the Father have. Instead, we have thousands of denominations and church splits every year. How big of a problem is this for us? Well, I think it's a big problem. So stay tuned tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel, for a more and deeper discussion of this problem, and is there any solutions for it. But before we get to there, we continue with 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David answered the priest Ahimelech, The king gave me a mission, but he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. David, David, I have stationed my young men at a certain place. Now what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread, but the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission, so of course their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. One of Saul's servants detained before the Lord was there that day. His name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Do you have a spear or sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapon since the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. There's none like it, David said. Give it to me. David fled that day from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of Gath. But Achish's servant said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands? David took this to heart and became very afraid of King Achish of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Look! You can see the man is crazy, Achish said to his servants. Why did you bring him to me? Do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is this one going to come into my house? (laughs) It's so good. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. So David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Adullam. 
When David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. In addition, every man who was desperate in debt or discontented rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah of Moab, where he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. So he left them in the care of the king of Moab, and they stayed with him the whole time David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Don't stay in the stronghold, leave and return to the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Harith. Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. At that time, Saul was in Gibeah, sitting under the tamarisk tree at the high place. His spear was in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. Saul said to his servants, Listen, men of Benjamin, is Jesse's son going to give all of you fields and vineyards? Do you think he'll make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? That's why all of you have conspired against me. Nobody tells me when my own son makes a covenant with Jesse's son. None of you cares about me or tells me that my son has stirred up my own servant to wait in ambush for me, as is the case today. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was in charge of Saul's servants, answered, I saw Jesse's son come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions. He also gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. The king sent messengers to summon the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahutub, and his father's whole family, who were priests in Nob. All of them came to the king. Then Saul said, Listen, son of Ahitub, I'm at your service, my lord, he said. Saul asked him, Why did you and Jesse's son conspire against me? You gave him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him, so he could rise up against me and wait in ambush, as is the case today. Ahimelech replied to the king, Who among all your servants is as faithful as David? He is the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and honored in your house. Was today the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Please don't let the king make an accusation against your servant or any of my father's family for your servant didn't have any idea about all this. But the king said, You will die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole army. Then the king ordered the guards standing by him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they sided with David, for they knew he was fleeing, but they didn't tell me. But the king's servants would not lift a hand to execute the priests of the Lord. So the king said to Doeg, Go and execute the priests. So Doeg the Edomite went and executed the priests himself. On that day he killed 85 men who wore linen ephods. He also struck down Nob, the city of the priests, with the sword, both men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen, donkeys, and sheep. However, one of the sons of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, escaped. His name was Abiathar, and he fled to David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew that Doeg the Edomite was there that day and that he was sure to report to Saul. I myself am responsible for the lives of everyone in your father's family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. For the one who wants to take my life wants to take your life. You will be safe with me. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 1. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile, the word of the Lord came directly to the priest Ezekiel, son of Bootsi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kabar Canal. The Lord's hand was on him there. I looked, and there was a whirlwind coming from the north, a huge cloud with fire flashing back and forth and brilliant light all around it. 
In the center of the fire there was a gleam like amber. The likeness of four living creatures came from it, and this was their appearance. They looked something like a human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the hooves of a calf, sparkling like the gleam of polished bronze. They had human hands under their wings on their four sides. All four of them had faces and wings. Their wings were touching. The creatures did not turn as they moved. Each one went straight ahead. Their faces looked something like the face of a human, and each of the four had the face of a lion on the right, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle. This is what their faces were like. Their wings were spread upward. Each had two wings touching that of another and two wings covering its body. Each creature went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went without turning as they moved. The likeness of the living creatures was like the appearance of blazing coals of fire or like torches. Fire was moving back and forth between the living creatures. It was bright with lightning coming out of it. The creatures were darting back and forth like flashes of lightning. When I looked at the living creatures, there was one wheel on the ground beside each of the four-faced creatures. The appearance of the wheels and their craftsmanship was like the gleam of barrel, and all four had the same likeness. Their appearance and craftsmanship was like a wheel within a wheel. When they moved, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they moved. Their four rims were tall and awe-inspiring, completely covering their covered their eyes. When the living creatures moved, the wheels moved beside them, and when the creatures rose from the earth, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, the creatures went in the direction the spirit was moving. The wheels rose alongside them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, the wheels moved. When the creatures stopped, the wheels stopped. And when the creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose alongside them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, the likeness of an expanse was spread out. It gleamed like awe-inspiring crystal, and under the expanse their wings extended one towards another. They each also had two wings covering their bodies. When they moved... I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of a huge torrent, like the voice of the Almighty and a sound of tumult like the noise of an army. When they stopped, they lowered their wings. A voice came from above the expanse over their heads. When they stopped, they lowered their wings. Something like a throne with the appearance of lapis lazuli was above the expanse over their heads. On the throne high above was someone who looked like a human. From what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber, and with what looked like fire enclosing it all around. From what seemed to be his waist down, I also saw what looked like fire. There was a brilliant light all around him. The appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. This was the the appearance of the likeness of the Lord's glory, and when I saw it, I fell face down and heard a voice speaking. Psalm chapter 37, verse 1. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like grass and will like and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated, it can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. 
but the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy and to slaughter those whose way is upright. Their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will will be broken. The The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people, for the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. The Lord watches over the blameless all their days and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger, but the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious in giving. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be destroyed. A person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed, because the Lord supports him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil, do what is good, and settle permanently, for the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever, but the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and intends to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will watch when the wicked are destroyed. I have seen a wicked, violent person, well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future, but transgressors will all be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. The The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. Yes and amen. And friends, right now in the most difficult year I remember, let us also be helped and delivered by the Lord because we take refuge in him. Godspeed to you.